Well, hello, church. I'm so pleased that you're worshiping with us today. And we're going to start a new sermon series that will be probably five or six sermons. And the subject of those sermons will be on the general topic of being a follower of Jesus in today's world. What does it mean as, to, as it relates to being a follower of Jesus in the modern world we face? What are the issues that are confronting us? How does Jesus speak to us about these issues? And what can we do to advance our walk with our Lord and Savior? And so we're so happy that you're here with us. I just wanted to let you know that for those of you who are not here with us but are watching remotely, that we open the church on Sunday in-person service for the first time in several months. And we had an extraordinary number of people come out, more than we expected. Uh, and you know that we're at the Naples Grand Resort and Hotel, and, and it couldn't be a better setting. So we thank God that he blessed that. And as we move forward, we will continue to keep you posted. But we ask God to continue to bless us. And so let's bow our heads right now as we ask the Lord to anoint this message as his will. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, the way you've blessed this church and protected our people. And now, Lord, I ask you to bless this sermon. Let it be your message, Lord, designed for us today, for the truth that we need today, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? That's the key question, because throughout history, there have been a number of people who have greatly admired Jesus, viewing him as a great teacher, in some cases a prophet, and in some cases a heroic figure. Uh, a recent poll in the United States found that most people claim that Jesus was the number one admired hero that they look to. Well, the point of this message and the point of this series is that Jesus is not just a hero. Jesus is much more than that. Jesus is the Son of God, your Lord and Savior. And so Jesus made it very clear that he said that if you wanted to be part of his work, if you wanted to be a disciple, he said you needed to follow him, follow him. And that's what we're going to focus on in these messages, following Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? How did Jesus relate that issue even in the world that he was walking in? And you know that was a first century world that was dominated by Rome and that Rome was surrounding the first century church. And so let's look at some of the things that Jesus said during that time period that relate very well to us today, even during these stressful times. Jesus spoke at length on this and in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said as follows. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Pretty sobering verses there from our Lord and Savior, indicating that even people who apparently look as if they are following Jesus and may in fact be doing some good things, if their life is not fully in line with what the Lord says, they're not really a follower. And the day will come when the Lord will judge that and the Lord will say, I never knew you. I don't consider you my disciple because your life 
did not reflect the teachings that I taught. Your life is not in accord with my will. And so just because you have admiration for Jesus or you think positive thoughts about Jesus, as many people in the world do that are not really Christians, you really are not one of his followers as Jesus would define it. And so Jesus concluded his Sermon on the Mount with a story meant really to distinguish between real followers and those who can only be classified as admirers. And that, that passage is found in Matthew 7, 24 to 25, and it's a well-known passage. It's the passage that distinguishes between two people, one who built his house on the sand and the other that built his house on the rock. And Jesus made it very clear that it is the person who hears his word, who hears what his will is, and then follows through and does it, who is his follower. And so here in this case, it was the, the man who built his house on the rock, the rock being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you build your life on Jesus Christ, when you follow through with him, when you listen to him and you walk with him, you become a follower, a true follower. And so if we go through the Gospels, we can also get a glimpse of what Jesus meant by being a follower. When we example, we can examine the Gospel of Levi, effectively known as Matthew. And Matthew, before he became Matthew, was called Levi. And so here we learn about the story of Levi, also known as Matthew, who was a tax collector. Now you understand that Matthew was a Jew who had been given the franchise of being a tax collector, and as such, he was reviled by the Jewish people. He was effectively in league with Rome, and tax collectors often took from those collections for themselves. And so there wasn't much good that Matthew could say about himself in terms of how the Jewish people looked at him. And so here we see Jesus simply walking up to the tax booth where Matthew was sitting, and Jesus said, Two words, follow me. That was it, follow me. Now with those two words, Matthew got up from the booth and left everything else behind. He never once looked back. Now how could this possibly happen? Well, it happens because you see when, when there is a confluence of the Holy Spirit convicting us in the presence of our Lord and Savior, something miraculous happens to us. We suddenly look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves as lost, and we recognize that we need a Savior. And when God, through his grace, comes forward to us and indicates, follow me, we follow him. And so we see this. Uh, and, and we see also Jesus speaking about his role, and he compares his role to that of a physician. And, and I think it's a good thing to read. If you turn to Matthew chapter 9, so take a look at Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13, as Jesus speaks to these issues. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, and that followed immediately, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And I want you to get a picture of this scene. Jesus says, follow me. Matthew picks up, leaves the tax business behind, 
follows Jesus and then invites Jesus to a dinner in which Matthew brings all of his fellow tax collectors and friends. The Bible here talks about them as, quote, sinners, as, as eating with Jesus and the disciples. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. What a great picture of our Lord and Savior coming to a lost world, seeing those who are in need, whose, whose lives are, are demolished. And he comes to call them and bring them out of their sin and bring them into salvation. That is how great our Jesus is. This is what it means to be a follower changing your life forever, seeing the picture of our Lord, picking up and walking with him and moving towards the cross and changing your life forever. And now, interestingly enough, that whenever Jesus encountered people, he never said the same thing in the encounter with two different people. He always looked at people individually and spoke to them based on what they needed to hear in their heart. For example, to Peter and Andrew, who became disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They were fishermen. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. But he did not say that to Matthew. He did not say that to him. And so the fact is that Jesus related to people in his world as individuals, and he does that with us as well today. And this is something that we need to remember as followers of Jesus, that we treat people individually. We don't make blanket assertions. When we come and try to introduce the gospel to this world as followers of Jesus, we need to treat people as individual practitioners, people that we love individually. That's how Jesus did it when he walked this earth, and that's how he wants us to live now. And so as a tax collector, Matthew had effectively abandoned his faith and turned his back on his own people as well as, as his God at that moment. Along comes Jesus, and there is something there that gets his attention. There began to be a longing in his heart, and this is what separates our faith from other religions. When our heart looks for God and longs for God, it's very different from every other religion because at that moment, when there is a deepness to our heart, a longing, a darkness. God sees that and God sends through his grace the Holy Spirit that ignites that feeling and causes you to raise your arms and to ask for salvation, to ask for a Lord and Savior, and then God seals you with the Holy Spirit. There is no other religion that does this, that has this active, ongoing relationship between God, the Holy Spirit, and the individual. No other religion has this. And so when we long for God, what we will find soon, soon enough, that God will be knocking on our door. And so Jesus uh, looked up, looked into Matthew's eyes, spoke, follow me, and, and Matthew's life was changed forever. Changed forever so significantly that Matthew would write one of the earliest gospels. And here he is, here he is a guy who's a former tax collector who will someday write a gospel that will last for thousands of years talking about how great salvation is and how great our Lord and Savior is. And so have we ever really reflected on how great a privilege it is for us to be called by God 
to be called the son of God and adopted into the family of God. Have we ever really considered that? Well, Paul did, and he spoke about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, turn to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. There it is. That's how great our God is. He will be faithful to the end as he's called you into the privilege of being a son with Jesus Christ, an heir adopted into the family. And so what does it mean in our modern world? really, to be a follower of Christ. To follow Jesus means that today you walk the same road that he walks. It is not really an invitation. Rather, it is a command. It also means that we are to continually walk with him. Not walk one day and then sit down and not walk the next, but every day, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, walking every part of our lives with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wants to be a part of everything that you do. And Jesus is saying here, I command you to follow me each and every day. I want you to finish what you have started. And Jesus is saying, really, I want your obedience, but I also want your friendship and companionship. And that's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What Jesus said here with Matthew, yes, I want your obedience, I want you to follow me. I want you to submit your life to me. Listen to what I say and follow through, but I want your friendship and your love. I've commanded you. I will be with you. I will be your friend. I will love you like no other love you will have. And I want to walk with you for the rest of your life. Right up to the day that you're called from this world to the next, I will be with you. Now, there's another example where Jesus said to a man, who indicated that he wanted to be a follower uh, with a kind of a different turn of events. And I think it's interesting to read that. And if you look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 to 22, you see this individual who said that he wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, And the scripture says there, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. Now, I'm sure you were like I was growing up. When you heard those words, you said, oh, Jesus, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? This guy just wants to go home and bury his father. But really, again, it's context. And when you study the context theologically, you will see this wasn't a case where the man's father had died, but rather it was a common expression used during that time that was used which meant, I'm not ready to follow you now. Someday down the road, I will follow you, but not now. And so it wasn't really a question of burying my father now, but someday I probably will have to bury my father. I'll have to take care of those events in my life. And so I can't follow you now, but probably down the road, I meant. And so in the culture of the time and the expression of the time, effectively, this man was saying, I'm not ready to be a follower. I have other issues in my life that I need to be responsible to. Uh, I need to wait for it to be more convenient. I will follow you when it is more convenient. Now, you understand that that is a terrible thing to say to God. 
And this is a thing that many people say today. And you'll speak to people and they'll tell you that they know about Jesus. They grew up in a Christian uh, life. They, they used to go to church, but now life has gotten more complicated. They have bigger families. They have family responsibilities, work responsibilities. There's any number of, of distractions that come in the modern world that all interfere with, with our Lord and Savior. I'm laughing because when I used to drive to church on Sunday morning, we would go by a golf course, and this would be at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would turn to Linda as I would see this long list of golfers lining up to play golf, and I would say to her, it's, isn't it amazing that all these people have already gotten out to church and now they're able to golf? Well, guess what? They didn't go out to church and they weren't going to go out to church because you see, they were more interested in golf than they were in Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus like that. And so you can't sit there and reflect on how will this decision affect my family? How will it affect my relationships? What will people at the golf club think about me if all of a sudden I start getting more serious with Jesus? Will they begin to think that I'm a flake, a zealot? Will they not want to be responsible with me? Will they try to separate themselves from me? And so you understand God is not interested in excuses. To be a follower of Jesus is to put everything else aside and to put him first in your life. Yes, you still love your family. Yes, you take care of your family responsibilities. Yes, you take care of your business relationship. But first, you put God. He comes first in every possible way. And when you put him first, he will put you first as well. Turn also, if you would, to Luke chapter 12, verses 51 to 52. And this is a ver very eloquently said piece by Jesus. When he talks about who he was when he came to this world. And you'll know you'll hear this from people who will try to castigate Christ and castigate Christianity. And they will say the famous words, well, I thought when Jesus came that it was peace and goodwill to all men. Well, you see, it's, that's not the way it is. That's not what the Bible tells us. Uh, and, and so really, Jesus made it very clear that when he came to this world, those who believed in him would probably find strife and persecution in their own families. And we need to be aware of this as followers of our Lord even today. Luke 12, verses 51 to 52, quote, Jesus says this, do you think I have come to give peace to the earth? Put that on your refrigerator. Do you think I've come to give peace to the earth? No, rather strife and division. From now on, families will be split apart. Three, in favor of me, and two, against the lesson for us as followers of Jesus is that peace and harmony are not the highest values in life. Truth is more important than unity. Let me repeat that. Truth is more important than unity. And so what does this mean? It means that you, can, as you commit yourself to be a follower of Jesus, dedicate yourself to put him first, walking with him in this world, you may find that there is a separation even in your family even in your work relationships, even in your friendly social relationships. People suddenly don't seem as close to you as they did before. There's a distance that they have with you. And so you need to be aware of this, and God is also aware of it. And so the question becomes, who do we serve? Do we serve our families or do we serve Jesus? We serve Jesus first. As we walk with Jesus, we walk with him, and as we walk with him in the course, we will bring 
our families. God will be responsible to bring our families along with him. And so here's the point, folks. Yes, it is good to hear sermons. Yes, I love it when I hear a sermon that's soaring in its language and touches my heart as it's really responding through the Holy Spirit. And I convict it in my heart. But there comes a point, there comes a point when there has been enough preaching and it is time to start walking. Time to start walking walking it ourselves, living it day in and day out in good circumstances and bad. bad. Let your actions in your life speak volumes about who you are and your commitment to Jesus Christ. It is critical that you show to a lost world just how much Jesus Christ can change a life. And you do that in the very way that you walk. And so the critical point here is that you are not to let potential conflict with your family or your friends keep you away from God. Remember that. If you want to get along with everyone in this world, you will eventually alienate God because it means that you are making compromises. And I want to make sure I drill that down to you. If you find that you're getting along with everybody, even as you have this Christian life, well, I would say to you and I would submit to you, most likely you're making compromises in your life. Well, God doesn't compromise, and God doesn't want us to compromise. We have to walk with him daily, and it doesn't matter where the chips fall. It doesn't matter if members of our family look at us with disdain. I want Jesus to look at me with love. And so God wants you to remain in step with him day by day, even if it means you are going to offend some people, and I submit, frankly, you will. We have to live the life of a follower of Christ loving and praying for a lost world. Yet we cannot, nothing can keep us from being a follower of the Lord. And so I want to begin to focus in on this for you as we focus in on some key issues that I think help us to understand what being a follower of Christ is. And so as I begin this series, and you will hear me do probably five sermons on various topics, all relating to being a follower in the modern world, what are the key characteristics that should identify us as a follower of Christ. What issues will we face? Well, I've made a list of them. The first is we must be born again. And if you have any doubt about that, any doubt at all, take a look at John chapter three as Jesus speaks face to face with a religious Jew and tells him exactly what he needs to be saved. John three, verse three, Jesus replied and declared, I tell you the truth, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now remember who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee of Pharisee, a man who is part of the Sanhedrin, one of the most elevated Jews in Israel. And yet here he is saying to him, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Uh, And so we must repent of our sins and surrender our lives to Christ. This is the message that you have to give to a world that is lost. If you want to be a follower, this is what you need to do. Secondly, we must spend time in prayer, making it a point to pray multiple times a day so that we are walking in accord with the will of God. I can't overemphasize the importance of this. 
meaning that every part of your day should begin with prayer. As you speak to Jesus, as you would with your own father, and ask him for advice. Lord, what should I do? Give me advice, Father. Tell me what decisions I need to make in every single way. And when you do this, you will find that you are speaking to him hundreds of times a day because you can't make a decision without asking God for his advice. And that's how he wants it, in love. And so that's done through prayer. And as I said before, you don't have to put a prayer shawl down. You can just speak to him walking in your car, any number of ways that you can do that, but he wants you to speak to him every day in multiple ways. Then what? We must demonstrate that we believe in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. In this regard, we must learn to live by faith, not sight. This is critical. We believe in what God has done for us by faith. We know God has saved us. We know that by faith. We know that, we're, that he holds us forever in his hand. Why? We know it by faith. We know that one day we will be in heaven with our Lord and Savior. How do we know that? We know it by faith. And so we do it all by faith, not by sight, because we as Christians don't need to see it. We know in our heart because God has constrained us there. We know what he did for us on the cross, and so we have every assurance of that fact. We must also walk in obedience, recognizing that we cannot do our own thing. This requires an ongoing act of submission. This is how you become a follower. It's not your own thing. It's not your own will. You're not out there making up your own mind. You just bow before the throne of God and ask him, Father, what's your will for me? I submit to you in every way. This is the mark of a Christian, the act of submission, the act of bowing before the throne asking for his will. We don't do our own thing. We do his thing. And that's what we do constantly. We shall continually love the Lord with all of our being and strength. Uh, we cannot follow Jesus half-heartedly. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. As Jesus speaks on this issue as well. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. 30. And Jesus says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. There it is. That's the will of God. That's how he wants you to live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. There it is. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You can't do it half-heartedly. You have to be all in, in every possible way. He comes first. Nothing else touches it. God is first. All of our allegiance and our submission is to him. And then we must be willing to share the gospel with others uh, as we honor the Lord. And that was the big commandment that God gave us, the Great Commission, that he expects each and every one of us to walk with him, but not only as we walk with him, but to share the gospel to a lost world. Listen, he didn't call angels to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. He called us human beings. So that's the role that we have as we have to actively, actively advance the gospel. And he also expects us to actively be involved in acts of service. Uh, and if you have any doubt about that, turn to John chapter 12. Understand again Jesus' view on this. John chapter 12, verse 25. And there Jesus says as follows, the man who loves his life will lose it, 
while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. That's it. It's an active life of service. Our hands and our feet belong to him. We serve him every day as we do his will in this lost world. If you think you're going to save your life uh, because you've decided that you don't want to put yourself at risk, you're going to lose your life. But if you put everything on the line for the Lord, then that life will be glorified for eternally. So here's the other thing. We must be prepared to suffer at some point. We may be rejected by this world and even lose some relationships. And I'm sorry to say that I have experienced those kind of things, uh, even within the ambit of some churches. But this should not stop us from following Jesus. I'm not afraid of being persecuted. I'm not afraid of, of, of being suffering, of having suffering come into my life because I'm serving him. I'm doing his will, and that's what God wants you to do. All of these practices, all of them are essential in our walk with Jesus Christ and should demonstrate to a lost world that we are truly a follower of our Lord and Savior. And that's the nature of this message today. Make it clear to this world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message I thank you, Father, that you've touched our hearts, that you brought this message to us about what it means to be a follower, Lord. I ask you that you continue to bless this sermon series as we drill down week by week about the issues that we face in this modern world, Lord. Protect us and lift us up. Inspire us, Lord, as we seek to be closer to you, to walk with you, to put it all before you and the cross, to serve you in every possible way, and to bless this world in your perfect will. Lord, we, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We love you, church.